Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It's the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me on today's show. We have the one and only WTA Pro and Charleston's own Shelby Rogers. Great interview, great long discussion with Shelby. As we're about ready to start this WTA exhibition, the Credit Bank One Invitational in Charleston. 16 of the top WTA players in an interesting format. There'll be a draft, the teams, some team concepts as well. And we discussed with Shelby her career getting into tennis, those special moments in Charleston going from ball kid to playing on that court. The 2016 run she had going from a virtual unknown, the last player in the main draw essentially, to the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. How that changed her life, how she broke into the top 50, the setbacks with her injury in 2018, getting back onto the court and trying to round back into form and, and getting to that place where she's enjoying the game again. It's a great discussion with Shelby. We also talk about her hobbies off the court, some of her thoughts about traveling, her favorite cities, her favorite places to go and visit, and her fandom of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We talk about a lot with Shelby Rogers. She's also got some advice on if you're ever visiting Charleston. Great discussion. One of the nicest players on tour. You'll see why you'll understand why after listening to this interview. It's Shelby Rogers on the TC Live podcast. Here we go. All right, now joining us on the TC Live podcast is a 27-year-old pro born and raised in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where she's established herself as a WTA favorite among players and fans alike and a hometown hero of sorts when the tour stops in her native Charleston every year. In 2016, she made an improbable run to the French Open quarterfinals and in 2017 broke into the top 50 with a career-high ranking of number 48. We're pleased to welcome to the show Shelby Rogers. Shelby, thanks for joining. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Very excited to talk to you, Shelby. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned, you're, you're one of the popular players on tour with a good reputation that precedes you. Uh, and, and we're getting ready to go to Charleston, so that should be a very fun event and a very special one for you personally. But I just want to start with this. It's been a couple months since competitive tennis. How have you been staying active and uh, staying busy during this time away from the tour? Yeah, it's definitely been a really weird time and something that nobody was obviously prepared for or really knew how to handle. I mean, in 2018, I was out for an injury, but that's so different. Like, you have a timeline, you have a plan, you know what I mean? You have goals. So I was just trying to stay as fit as I could with my home workouts. And, you know, during quarantine, it was a little tougher. But thankfully, I was in Florida, so there were a bunch of girls down there. So once the tennis courts opened up, I could get some matches in and some good practice. Are there areas or specific, you know, focuses, parts of your game that you're able to, to work on, especially in the first parts of this uh, lockdown when you're not really able to get outside, maybe get onto the court, anything in specific you're trying to work on? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a unique time because usually we don't get such a long training block to work on things, like you said. So whether that's on court or even your mental skills off the court, um, I was just able to take some time. And, and really analyze myself and figure out, you know, okay, how can I improve even if I'm not on the court? Um, but also, 
you know, working on specific skills and getting certain parts of your body stronger that you just can't train through an event throughout the year or the season, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, I think it is kind of nice that you're able to start with an event that's very familiar to you at a surface that's very familiar to you at Charleston. Uh, and I want to start there. We can kind of jump around a little bit with your career, but uh, I always got to bring up the Charleston side of things because it's where you're born and raised, and it's where you started out not just as a professional tennis player, not even just as a junior tennis player, but as a, as a ball kid back in the day, getting to see your idols play. And uh, if I have this correct, getting to actually put some flowers on uh, one of them, Jennifer Capriati, this place holds a very special place in your heart. I think it's obvious. Oh, yeah. I mean, the memories definitely go way back. I mean, I can remember being seven years old on those tennis courts, hitting balls, and like you said, giving the flowers to the champion, Jennifer Capriotti, in, I believe, 2001. So that gives you a little bit of a timeline. But every time I go back, it's just so special to me. I mean, I live in Florida now, but it's still my hometown, and it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, but that city has just given me so much. Like, it's such a special tennis town and everybody's supportive of the sport and especially that women's tournament the volvo car open everybody just loves going to it every year it was such a bummer that it couldn't happen this year but i know everybody's really excited for this event to go on there in charleston even though there aren't fans it's just kind of giving everybody a little boost you know everybody's really excited to see some competitive tennis again and just that southern charm aspect will add a lot to it you know, what I thought was interesting too is in 2011 when you made your first main draw debut. They uh, they knew exactly who you were, and you got that hero's welcome even before you'd ever, you know, really accomplished anything at the pro level. What was that like to hear that the fan support was there before you'd even really played a pro match? Oh yeah, I mean that was a really cool thing for me knew that there were so many people behind me, friends, family, even people I didn't know that were just, you know, really proud to have someone from Charleston going after their dreams and trying to do something really great with their talents, you know? So even it didn't even matter how I did because I was definitely nervous that first time and many years after. And whether I was getting my butt kicked, losing 6-0, winning a tiebreaker, I mean, I've done it all on those courts and the fans are always there for me and support me no matter what so I think that's the most important and and the coolest part for me is just you know I feel their support no matter what even when I'm out of town you know on the road I get messages and um, I just think a lot of players don't have you know aren't aren't blessed with that and so I don't take it for granted and I'm very lucky and fortunate to have that behind me and they've definitely stuck with you from the good times and the bad talking with Shelby Rogers here on the TC live podcast uh, and I just to go back to the start of your story, Shelby, uh, I thought it was very interesting, too, very fascinating that like a lot of athletes that make it to various levels, college, high level pro like yourself, the origin story is similar. It starts with a young girl that just wants to be like her older sister. And that's where your tennis love came from. Thank you. 
hitting the tennis ball and being out there on the courts. And then as I got a bit older, all my friends were playing tennis. So it became, you know, really the only place I wanted to be. And uh, I guess, yeah, that's kind of how it started and continued from there. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Was there a point in your childhood, because it was obvious that you, know, you were you were sought after as okay. This this child has a lot of talent. Was there a point in your childhood that you remember where it clicked and you're like, this could be something to really be long lasting. I could be really good at this. Was there a an aha moment that you realized that this could be your final craft? I mean, I wish I could give you a really profound story about this one moment where I knew I was going to make it as a professional. But you know, there's no guarantee and there's no really sure way of knowing. But I do remember, you know, telling my my parents and my coaches at seven years old, you guys, I want to be a professional tennis player. And they're like, yeah, that's cute. You know, I'm so proud of you. You know, if you're having fun, keep working hard. That's great. But then all of a sudden, you know, I'm 14, 15, um, winning every single state and Southern level title. You know what I mean? And just kind of separating myself from some of the other competition. Um, So I don't think it was really one moment. It was more of a gradual thing for me and just gaining confidence. And, And I really had a lot of great people around me that that pushed me and you know believed in me and really thought that I could do it even though there was really no reason I should you know nobody from Charleston had made it before I really didn't know any professional athletes um, but my coaches and my support team my family my friends everybody was like yeah go for it you know so uh, like I said it was kind of a gradual thing for me. It certainly seems that way. And one of the things your support team has, has said in interviews over the last couple of years is just how competitive that you've gotten, that you've, you've been, but also that you've become. That level of competition, you've admitted that you like to compete at everything, even if it's just games you know, outside the court. Where does that level of competition come from? Has that been growing over time? Is that you know, an influence from those around you, your parents, your family? Where does that competition come from? Scrabble games can be intense, though, so I know what you mean there, uh, definitely. Uh, I also, you get all the confidence, you have no battles, it's a grind. Very much so. You don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose those games. Uh, one thing I am curious, though, in, in doing the research, your stepfather was a, a high-level football player, played at Citadel, got a look for a couple years in the NFL. Do you ever, and I'm always curious when there's you know parent the parent-child dynamic at pro athletes do you ever have any conversations with him about you know competing at a high level i know it was a different sport but those high level athletic competition conversations oh yeah all the time and i think uh that's something that helped me a lot for sure in my career i mean my mom as well helped me you know i had a balance between the two 
you got to think a certain way in order to keep being successful. So I think the, the mentality was there. And, you know, the stories were great, too, listening to his football career and, you know, what they kind of had to go through. But I'll never forget one of the first tournaments he came to in juniors. And he didn't really know a ton about tennis starting off, but he, I won my match and he poured my ice you know, cooler over my head. I had oh. this, like, little jug of water. So, like, no, this is tennis. Like, this is a football. But I do think there's definitely some correlation there. That's great. That, that would have been uh, priceless to be captured on video. Uh, Shelby. <laughs> Moving on to kind of how it really started for you. Uh, there's all these whirlwind moments in sports, especially a tennis career. But I got to think it started to get serious in your mind. 2010, you win the 18, uh, the 18s Girls National Championship, the USTA event. And then suddenly you're in the main draw at the U.S. Open. Now, oh, yeah. it, I can't think of, I know French Open 2016, which we'll get to in a second, change things. But you're an 18-year-old girl. You win that, and then now suddenly here we are, U.S. Open main draw, the court where Serena, Federer, and Nadal are playing. It can't can't get much more life-altering than that, I would imagine. I mean, that's what you work so hard for, right? And you're at the girls' nationals, the hard courts. And a, I mean, that's a great event as well. But I'm pretty sure I got in on a wild card that year because I'd been playing some pro tournaments. My national ranking, you know, for USTA wasn't great. So, yeah, I ended up winning at the wild card. I go to the U.S. Open. The last time I'd been there, I was a spectator sitting in the nosebleeds watching James Blake, you know, on, mm-hmm. on Arthur Ashe Stadium. So it was really cool to be there, finally have that player badge. Um and I had a really tough loss in the first round in three sets. And even though I lost that, which I, in hindsight, I think it was really better that I did lose it. You know, I didn't get too confident right away. But I just took so much confidence from that anyway. Like, man, I just played a seed and took her to three sets. I can compete with these girls. It just kind of lit a little extra fire in me and made me want to work that much harder. Now, is this story somewhat accurate where I hear it that you had a little run-in with Roger Federer, literally literally a run-in, where you almost kind of collided with him? Oh, I don't know about that, but there was a, <laughs> that's funny how stories can kind of yeah. change, but, so I was in credentials and gave my badge and Roger Federer walked in to sign in as well, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening, you know, and so, uh, That's great, and the legend will grow. In a couple of years, it'll be you. You accidentally, you know, tackle them, and he, you know, he he got taken out. And oh yeah, injured. yeah, so exactly. That'll be the story in a few years. Still chat with Shelby Rogers here on the TC Live podcast. Now, it is hard to believe that that was 2010. We're coming up on you know a decade of being a pro tennis player. You know, at your young age still. We look forward to, you know, what the future has, but we still have to look back at that 2016 French Open run because it's one of the more improbable moments in sports history, and I say that with all due respect, Shelby, because 
you weren't really coming into that tournament with a lot of momentum. You were, I think, the, if I have this right, the last main draw entrance a uh, person accepted into the French Open on the main yep. draw. And the run you make to the quarterfinals wasn't the draw opening up. You went through some top-seeded players to get there. That was uh, very inspiring to see on the outside. But what was it like in the moment, taking it one match at a time and knowing that something very special was happening in France? Before the French Open, I actually lost twice in the same event. I lost in the last round of qualities, got lucky loser, lost first round. But on paper, sometimes you, you rack up a bunch of losses, but sometimes you're like, man, I'm just playing well. You know, I feel like I'm doing the right things and I'm just missing by a little bit. I feel like I'm fit and moving well. I feel like I'm kind of locked in, but I just somehow, you know, I'm losing a few close matches, whatever it is. Going into the French, I'm like, you know, I had, I had a talk with my coach. And he's like, just stick with it. I feel like something good is coming. You know, what you're wow. doing is right. And then going into the French Open, I was prepared to play qualities. You nailed it. I, I was the last one entered into the draw. There ended up being a few more after me in the end. But um, the initial cut, I was the last one. And then I remember looking at my draw. And I usually don't look ahead. I try to take it one match at a time. But I remember being like, oh, my gosh. You know, look at these girls in front of me. I'm going to have to play some really good. And that year was also super rainy at the French Open. Um so before I played Pliskova, I didn't even get to warm up because the warm up site was wet and I just, I was so stressed out trying to, you know, fit it in. I'm like, look, I'm just going to go get ready in the gym. I'll be, you know, mentally ready. Let's go. And I'm down a set and a break to Pliskova, which is not where you want to be. You know, you know, she can hold serve at any moment. So I think that comeback kind of started, you know, a little more confidence in me. And then each match I just kept building and, and trying not to think about it, staying in the moment, enjoying it. And there's, you know, a handful of weeks every year where you can do that consistently. So definitely memories I'll never forget. And that backhand return in the round of 16 against Begu, she had a second serve. I was, like, shaking. I'm like, this is your moment. you got to, you know, step up and be aggressive if you want to make it to the quarters. So um, definitely some very vivid memories for sure. Yeah, winning those four matches, including Pliskova, Kvitova, and then losing to the eventual champion in Garbini Muguruza is st- still a competitive match. You said something so fascinating there, and, and that's what the outside world doesn't know, even the people that work in tennis. You felt fine. You felt like, you know, I'm losing these matches, but I'm feeling pretty good. It's just that, yeah. that's so fascinating to me because you're, there's no way to really know that on the outside, and, and there's no way to, to look at numbers or look at match results. It's just something, you know, innate, something within that, hey, good things are on the horizon, like your coach said. Absolutely, and that's the cool thing about tennis. I mean, if you're on the court, well, the cool thing and the, the tough thing, too, but, you know, you're playing well, they're in a tie break, they hit the net, it dribbles over, they win the set. You know what I mean? Some kind of lucky point happens, but you're just playing good tennis, and, you know, you know, you got to stick with it. You can't get down on yourself because there's always next week, and that's the cool thing about tennis. You always get a match. There are tournaments, you know, all year. You always get another chance, so you got to keep yourself up. So after that run, Shelby, you know, you, you make this quarterfinal run. You're, you're the talk of the tour, and everybody's, you know, trying to figure out more about you. And, and one of the things that came out was all the support that you were getting. Uh, so I'm going to ask you this question, a question I wouldn't ask many people, including myself. Why do you think everybody likes you so much? <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's such a tough question. I, I appreciate the compliment, though, and I'll accept that reputation that I guess I'm the, the nice one out there and gets along with everybody. But I don't know. I just look at it, you know, we see the same girls every week. 
you know, we go out to dinner and I'm not trying to, you know, just stay to myself and be this, you know, kind of focused, like trapped, you know, in my little bubble kind of person. Um, so it, it's just what works for me. And I think, you know, I try to be very genuine and open and honest and I try to be myself. So hopefully that comes across the right way. I think it does, but um, I just try to treat people the way I would want to be treated. And, and uh, a lot of people, you know, can see that genuine side of me. I'm not, you know, scared to, to be who I am. So that's what works for me on tour. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just me having fun out there. Yeah, I, it's a great way to live, and uh, I think the southern, you know, southern hospitality, southern values, however you want to call it, also kind of rings true there. Uh, as cliche as that may be in some cases, I think it rings true for you based on what the rest of the tour says. Uh, just kind of moving on, I know there were some dark spots too. 2017, actually, you know, you went, you make that run at the French Open in 2016, finish out the year pretty solid. 2017, you hit your career high ranking, have a pretty complete year, maybe more complete than 16. 18 is when the injury happened, Indian Wells, and it was 13 months until you played your next match. I, I got to imagine, as a pro athlete, as somebody that's had success, and to see it kind of taken away, that had to be a tough, you know, a tough year for you to to be on the outside, not able to compete. And I know there was that stretch where you said you couldn't even watch the French Open. Had to be tough mentally as much physically. Oh, by far, way more tough. Uh, mentally. I mean, coming off 2017, like you said, my best season consistently, I made, you know, three third rounds of the slams and one Fed Cup and, you know, had a bunch of really great highlights that year. It's hard when something you love is taken away and you have nothing to do with it. You know, I, I'll never forget. I mean, I'm playing at Indy Wells and I just felt my knee go and I knew, I knew that was it. I came off the court and sat down. There's like this little warm up area at, at Indian Wells. And I sat there against the wall and my coach and my trainer came over and said, you know, uh, my knee was all taped up because I finished the match actually, which I, I probably shouldn't have done because the doctors don't know how I did it, but um, I'm sitting there against the wall and they come over, you know, you should you go see the doctor. You want to get checked out. And I just looked at him. I said, I'm not ready. I know it's bad. I don't want to hear it yet. Just let me kind of sit here for a little, you know, um, facing that moment. And then after getting surgery, like you said, I couldn't even watch the French open. I couldn't watch tennis. It was, it was kind of a dark place. I'd never really had a big injury before. And there was a lot of stuff I had to work through, but after a couple months, it was like, you can either be miserable for the next year, or you can figure out a way to make yourself better and stronger and come back even better through this. So it definitely took a lot of work, but I talked to, you know, other players that had been injured, which was super helpful. I was in a really great PT atmosphere um, in LA where other athletes were kind of going through the same thing, you know, in different sports. And I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. So just getting to a better mental place where you can, you know, be motivated and set little goals and move forward was really the key for me. You seem to embrace the, uh, you know, the grind of getting back into, you know, physical fitness level to rehab. The videos that I saw was that you were fully, you know, committed to getting back on the court. And oddly enough, it happened at Charleston. We saw the match last year. You beat Rudina. It was a very emotional moment. You've since acknowledged, I think, that, you know, you're a very emotional person in general. But that that moment itself had to mean the world to you that you came back, you proved you could do it again, and you did it in the, in the town you grew up in. a better story, I think, and I'm so happy, and it's an awesome moment that I was able to do it 
at a really high level, and I haven't done this for over a year. Was happening, you know? um, but it was it was such a great moment, and I was so grateful to the Volvo Car Open for the wild card, and you know, believing in me and thinking I could get it done there after you know so much time off. So once again, just adding to the amazing memories that happened in Charleston for me. <laughs> yeah, and and it also kind of proved that the grind back is is no cakewalk either. I mean, you spent the last year, Shelby playing in all these events, making, you know, making headway, playing into tournaments where, you know, an un- another unfortunate thing about this, this tour break, this pandemic is that, you know, you're starting to get the match reps back. You beat Dolehide to get into the Australian Open, which was coincidentally enough who you suffered the injury against in Indian Wells 2018. It's tough to make it back on tour and to get those match reps up. It almost takes like, would you agree, like a full season to get back into match shape? Absolutely. It, there's nothing you can replicate like playing a match. Shelby Rogers here on the TC Live podcast. We'll, we'll lighten it up a little bit and try to get to know you a little bit for the audience here and, uh, you know, open some things up here. And I, I want to start with this. What is your, in your opinion, your favorite city on the WTA tour, favorite tour stop to travel to? Where do you like going to the most? assume that uh what what hobbies do you have to kind of stay fresh and do you sightsee is it a lot uh going out to eat and trying the cuisines um what hobbies on tour because you know the grind can be pretty tough i would imagine I'm going to be going to these cities, so I, I have to 
appreciate it while I'm there. Um, but I always try to find a really good local restaurant and, and get a good meal at some point, you know, out in the city when I can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, climbing stairs all day before a tough match, I would imagine. But uh, no, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you're not going to the top of the Eiffel Tower before <laughs> your second round, you know? <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to do that. Uh, Shelby, another question for you. Who would you say your toughest opponent to play is? Who's someone that just gives you trouble or, you know, you, you've, you know, had bad experiences playing against? Oh, my God. Everyone? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think... I mean, tennis is so unique. Like, every match is different, you know? And it just depends on the day. And it, it depends, like, where you're at mentally, too. I mean, as cliche as it is, like, myself is, you know, my toughest opponent always. If I don't show up, it doesn't matter who I'm playing. It's not going to be a good day. But I think, uh, I mean, someone like Pliskova, when you're playing her and she's just hot and, you know, hitting a bunch of aces and winners everywhere, I mean, that can be really, really frustrating and tough because you feel like, you have nowhere that you can hit the ball that's safe. So I would say, you know, some players like that, when they're just able to hit a winner from anywhere and it's it's their day and they're on, is really, really difficult. You know, it's funny that you're not, I've asked this question before, and you're not the first person to say Pliskova or a player like that that has such a good serve yeah. where you almost feel helpless out there. Right. And it also puts more pressure on your serve when you feel like you can't get into their service games or get a look at a break point. You feel like you have to serve better to make sure you're holding, you know, to give your give yourself a chance at that tiebreak or whatever it is that day. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, and who's somebody? I'm always fascinated by this. Who's somebody on tour that's, in your opinion, underrated that has some? I know they're they're all great players, but who's somebody that has some serious game that you think uh, could be primed to really break out here? Wow, that's one question I haven't been asked before. That's interesting. Uh, that's currently playing. Yeah. That hasn't maybe broken through yet. Um, gosh, I think that, well, she's done pretty well, though, and gotten up there in the rankings. But I, I think Contavit, she's, I feel like okay. she's an unbelievable player. She's one of those that, like, and I know she's gotten up there in the rankings and has kind of broken through and she's done very well. But when she's on, that's another player that's, that's going to do some damage on the court. You know, that's a good answer because she's had, you know, I would say almost mini runs, but could have the potential to break through and it wouldn't be shocking to see her in the, you know, final four final of a big tournament, a Grand Slam even, especially given her age. That's yeah. a good answer. Um, all right, so we've we've kept it pretty pretty straightforward up until this point, but i got to ask you right now about your, your fandom for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've reached that point in the podcast where, and I'm not bringing, I'm not bringing this up casually, you know, because not not to not to rip on anybody, but I talked to Allie Risk a couple weeks ago, and she said, "Oh, I, I like the Penguins, but it's mostly because of Sidney Crosby." But I wouldn't consider her on your level as a fan. Like you really know your stuff and follow this team. Oh no, I feel pressure. I'm gonna have to start like throwing out the stats. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I do. Yeah. So I actually lived in. Well, I trained at IMG for a year when I was younger, and I would go to all of the Tampa Bay Lightning games. That was, like, one of the really fun things I did when I was over there and uh, just became a fan um, and stuck with it. I mean, their one Stanley Cup is incredible. I don't want to talk about their, you know, their playoff crashing out of that. We're not going there. But I just – I think it's a really amazing sport. And, and honestly, even though I'm such a big Lightning fan, I just really enjoy watching all the teams and the amazing athletes that are – the league um and live in my opinion it's the best sport live oh, yeah. uh and it's definitely definitely my favorite yeah 
Yeah, you're not going to get an argument from me on that one. Uh, I think it's cool, though, they let you take over the social side of things, you know, a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, I get down and kind of, you know, fist bump the players as well. I, I, I like your story, though, of getting into hockey and just you, you didn't grow up in an area where it was, you know, ingrained in you. You spent some time in Florida, went to the game live and, uh, you know, fell in love. I had the South Carolina Stingrays. I grew okay. up going to those games. <laughs> That's true. bought in at the right time uh and i actually think with this you know resumption in play in the summer they're they're in pretty good shape given you know, how deep they are so i think you could have a pretty good summer following them but we'll see what happens fingers crossed fingers. i'm excited i think the i think the round robin play is going to be really exciting um but we'll see how this, this new format goes but i'm just ready to see some hockey again we, I think we all are there. Uh, and then another question I had for you is, I know you spent some time here with us at Tennis Channel during the uh, during your injury, and you also, if I have this right, were taking some psychology classes as well. So I was wondering, what pull do you think that would have after? What's going to pull you after your tennis career, getting into the broadcast side, or maybe you know that the little bit of sports psychology stuff that you were uh, you were dabbling in? I think you got a lot of pro tennis in front of you as well. Shelby Rogers here on the TC Live podcast. And uh, we'll wrap up with this. It's been a blast talking to you. Getting ready for this exhibition in Charleston, the 16-player event. Uh, that's going to be a very fun one. Unfortunately, fans won't be there. But we got to get ready for Charleston. So I'm with an expert, luckily. I know uh, you spent your childhood there. Where are the best places to eat down there? Where, where are some places to go if you're visiting Charleston that I need an insider to tell me about?
cannot have a bad meal in Charleston. I will guarantee that to you right now. But um, a couple of my favorite spots, there's actually one on Daniel Island, really close to the Volvo Car Open Stadium, called Thermet. A couple of my friends work there. Amazing food. Really tiny uh, spot, but they'll give you an amazing, pretty unique kind of southern twist, home-cooked meal there. Um, Fig is an amazing one downtown. A lot of people love going there. But I'm telling you, anywhere you pick to go, uh, if it's what you want that night, you'll be you'll be okay. <laughs> I don't I don't doubt that, and uh, I I guess. I guess it'd be safe to just mention, you know, hey, I'm a big fan of Shelby Rogers and get the A-list treatment because you're a rock star there. <laughs> I don't know about that. You could try it, see what it gets you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't be coming at me if you don't get anything, you know. Don't be disappointed. <laughs> well, it's basically, at this point, I mean, you're basically number two. I mean, you got Darius Rucker, which, you know, people love his music, I guess. But I think you're that number two from Charleston Spot right now. You know, he seems like a good guy, but I'm just saying he hasn't, you know, what? let's see him make the quarterfinals of the French Open before we really heat praise on him or something. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, getting ready for this event, though, as well. Uh, it's interesting. I, I like this exhibition format, and it's the first one of its kind where we've got 16 players, the top players, a lot of the top players on tour. There's going to be, you know, a draft situation, teams. It's a... It's kind of a fun, it's a fun event. It's a fun concept for a time that's not so fun. So what are your thoughts going into this event and playing tennis with some of your friends in a new format? Yeah, I think it's going to be really great. I mean, leave it to Bob Aran and the Volvo Car Open. You know, they're always taking an initiative, being forward-thinking and trying to do something new. And I'm really excited to see how it works. I think a lot of us are going in, you know, trying to figure out what we're going to do. But like you said, the draft will be fun. And honestly, just seeing these girls again. I mean, it's been a few months, and we're used to seeing each other every week. And a lot of them are other Americans, you know, that we're, we're all pretty close, and we've grown up playing together. So it's kind of a little bit of a reunion. And I think um, we're all going to be in the same hotel, you know, isolated in this little bubble. So uh, there could be some good content on some media coming out of this week for sure. And the last, last question, is there anybody out there that, uh, in this event that, you know, I know we're all friends, you're, you know, you got the reputation as an, as a nice girl on tour, but that the bragging rights will be a little sweeter if you win. I know, I know we're all competing at, at some level and you've said you're very competitive. Yourself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The team that wins and we'll probably have team names. I imagine at some point we got to come up with something creative, but, uh, there's definitely going to be some bragging rights there. And it's kind of the first event back. We definitely want to win, but there's going to be a little bit of a, like, kind of feel too, you know, you're on a team, you want to work together, but at the same time, you want to play well. And you have no idea what kind of tennis is coming out of this because everybody's been training, but, you know, it's probably going to be a little rusty too, but ready to compete and just leave it all out on the court. But heck yeah, we want to win. Get those bragging rights. <laughs> 
I wouldn't I wouldn't want it or have it any other way. Shelby Rogers, this was uh, really fun talking to you, and uh, I understand why the reputation is the way it is. But thanks for coming on the TC Live podcast and uh, telling your story and uh, you know having some fun with it. Absolutely, thanks for having me. And great questions. That was uh, you know something a little bit out of the ordinary, testing me a little bit, trying to come up with some good answers. So I appreciate that. Well, hey, I appreciate that compliments, and, uh, you know, I had to mix it up a little bit. I don't want to have the same interview, even though I know you're in high demand, but we tried to mix it up. That's uh, Shelby Rogers on the TC Live podcast. You can catch every episode on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast, all your podcast platforms. And check out Shelby Rogers along with 15 other women in the Credit Bank One Invitational Exhibition in Charleston. Team format, going to be some fun. Have some Southern hospitality down there as well. They're going to serve up some good tennis. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live Podcast. Thanks again, Shelby Rogers, for coming on, and good luck in this tournament. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch.